0: the theme for the afternoon talk is Seven Factors of Enlightenment Sometimes in uh, taking some measure or degree of uh, interest in the uh, <coughs> Dharma teachings some people kind of get the idea that uh, the uh, Buddhist tradition is rather solely, it's not exclusively, concerned with uh, with suffering and all the problems which come out of suffering and trying to answer and resolve and uh, bring them to an end and certainly that aspect and feature of the teachings uh, is present is emphasised and there is a strong encouragement and uh, endorsement to Mm. genuinely really look into life. And sometimes when we really bring the power of attention and awareness to things, to issues which are troubling us, some of the persuasive grip of them begins to loosen up. And it isn't unusual for us to perhaps be going through a very hard time in some way or other. And there's rather an inner voice that's going on, coming from some deep place, some place almost beyond the mind, so, so to speak, which is telling us and informing us it really isn't that important. It really doesn't matter that much. So we can be kind of immersed in some issue of life which oneself and others may agree is incredibly important or terribly sad or, or horrible thing to happen. Whatever, whatever it is. And yet, in spite of what's going on, let inner voice may still be coming through and really kind of puncturing all that's been built up in some way or other and to give a small example of what I mean with regard to that is a friend writer and psychotherapist came to uh, see me, this was, uh, some time ago and he was having, uh, and these things happen And uh, sure a few of you in the hall can share this, no of no, this, had been in a relationship for some time and had decided, he and his uh, wife to purchase a home and they had looked hither and thither. As people tend to do, and finally found a place which they liked, signed the contract and were then ready to move into this home that they had bought, and the first one in fact that they had bought. The day before moving in, she decided she didn't want to move in, she didn't want to live with him anymore, and left him and it seemed to him, he didn't pick up any signal no messages, no indicators. and he walked out and refused all contact and he was shell-shocked as one might imagine, he just had no inkling that this would happen so he came and one thing that I remember when we were looking in, uh, uh, into all of this there's another story I could just love to tell you but then you might those of you who don't, you might figure out who I'm talking about so I'm not going to tell you any more information um, and in the middle of it he was, he was, he was in tears, he was hopping How could this, you know, have happened? And then he said a rather beautiful one-line statement that right in the middle of the tears uh, and uh, the sense of loss and what happened and some feeling of betrayal and all that pain that goes on he said right in the middle of it deep down though Christopher, everything is okay Deep down, everything is okay. But sometimes there are these waves that roll through us, through the circumstances of uh, life. And there is just enough awareness to embrace the waves and to experience and to see and to know that deep down, everything is okay. Sometimes, of course, even deep down everything feels definitely not okay but the awareness has this capacity to rather accommodate much of what is going on from the upper levels, from the waves, and, and from the depth in the seven factors of enlightenment and each one of these factors is important and significant the first one, the word is sati, S-A-T-I and it means both mindfulness and awareness and in Dharma language the way that I use it here Dharma language um, mindfulness is being mindful of what we do being mindful of the moment giving care and attention to our... Uh, Day and the things that we are engaged in this is what I mean by mindfulness being a mindful human being and we all appreciate that in mindfulness that we're less likely to be careless less likely to cause ourselves grief through uh, being speedy or trying to do too much and not being very conscious etc <coughs> and awareness is uh, genuine um, abiding presence which is contribute, contributing to seeing much more clearly whatever it, it might be and so in that awareness we may pick up something that's going on with us we're quite clear about it and we may, if the wisdom is there, follow it through we may just be with it we may uh, let it go we may observe it uh, changing, etc. So mindfulness awareness is what's meant by this uh, sati, and it's referred to as the first factor of enlightenment. In bringing mindfulness awareness um, to our uh, uh, situation, that means that we are Really, genuinely getting to know ourselves, and it's the vehicle by which we do that. So that if we take care and look at what what our day is, we say, "Okay, I've been practicing mindfulness, sitting, and walking, and eating, and listening, and uh, etc." But we then also can also ask ourselves during today, what has been important for me to be aware of during today what do I really need to be clear about and that kind of um, um, interest helps to cultivate and develop this factor and sometimes there are things going on with us where, which requires some Change, external change or inner inner change, and that that requires from us some commitment and some resolution, and a lot of things during the flow of a retreat can begin to stand out for us. And the awareness is seeing something which is important and is is valuable, but in some situations it also requires actually taking some steps and sometimes we need to be with or we need to move on or we need to take make a change or take risks in some way or other or be more adventurous or explore in a fresh way whatever it may be but the first signal for all of that in life is the awareness sadly sometimes we're all too aware of what needs to be done or needs to be changed or needs to be followed through or needs to be accepted we're all too aware and that's all we are just aware blindly aware hopelessly aware foolishly aware (laughs) we're aware and we just live (laughs) because there's nothing following on from it and some people, particularly the Buddhists have got some loopy idea that there's no seven factors of enlightenment, there's only one being mindful there's all these books by the way, far too many of you are making the pilgrimage into the library and um, uh, any more going, there won't be a book left in the place, so if you could um, regard that as the back of beyond and return the book um, so sometimes all these books all this mindfulness <laughs> and the reading about it <laughs> what there is to read about I don't know but anyway all this mindfulness sometimes we put as it were we've got this idea from the Buddhist that uh, if we're mindful that's all we need to be just be mindful and there's lots of uh, importance on, on that but as they say how easy forgetfulness and neglect and uh, in this case of these other factors of enlightenment uh, occur because too much in the Buddhist world especially in this tradition I have, I have to say um, put too much emphasis on one thing, being mindful so then, takes the body of the teachings here. The second factor, a very important one, very this dharmavichara, meaning this uh, inquiry, this looking into, them, this interest in, this investigating there. And I think in in that, and this may be because of um, um, ed- education, which I'm not the the uh, uh, greatest fan and somebody, an educator was trying a few weeks ago to convince me um, of the great values of uh, uh, education and going to school from the age of 5 to 25 or or, or so and he said well if you're going to have a long education it teaches you to think and I said yes that's the whole problem (laughs) so sometimes the in the inquiry, in the exploration we have a rather strong tendency and I think we need to uh, uh, shift this one to bring in two kind of um, questions and if we change the mode of the question possibly we may change the way of response what I've got in mind here is we usually start with how or why something is arising and we've got our well-educated mind I'm using that in quotation marks because I mean the opposite and our well-educated mind tends very quickly and very easily to run to how or why so something is going on for us and we're having a hard time and then we say, well, why am I feeling like this? why am I experiencing this? why do I have to go through this? why? and then the poor old mindset goes into the known and it drags out of itself uh, a few wretched answers and one brings those answers to the question why and then one feels even worse <laughs> because one views the same old mind and all the various causes and conditions and reasons and adds it and is more or less saying I've got a fire going on in my mind I'll dig out, I'll ask why, I'll dig out some answers and this will be more wood for the fire and so sometimes I'm sure through the why question, why, and then we pick out things, so we pick out things externally of course, and often we'll pick a few good causes and good reasons which makes me feel like I do or think like I do or act like I, I do and there's always a few popular targets around that we can uh, uh, pick out the nearest and the dearest are usually the favorites but then it could be something from the past events of course or groups or organizations or places whatever it's might to be so we ask why and then from the why we select and my god we love selecting We don't ask, why do I select that? No, we, 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 we think we really have a handle on it through the answers that we get. This is why. And rather similarly, we introduce how. Well, rather similar. How do I end up like this? And this how do I end up like this also start we might start digging into the past and we bring out again we're very very selective of a whole variety of different uh, uh, reasons and those reasons pile into the, into the present or we get some others to uh, help dig out some fresh reasons you know the professionals and the non-professionals and all of that um, meets and there is a genuine and quite deep and heartfelt struggle to try to understand, and we sense that if we can, if we inquire, and that inquiry can bring us to um, an understanding, true, that understanding will help to dispel and help to break up the problem or the difficulties that beset. But sometimes, as we all know and sometimes rather painfully, that the how and the why doesn't seem to bring the understanding, it sometimes can help to make the situation feel, as I said before, rather worse. And we can feel more stuck and more crap and more troubled either because what another or others is doing to us and why they're doing it uh, etc and all the intentions and motives that we imagine accurate or not or from the past or from our way we are in the present (laughs) so what would it be to inquire without how and why what would it be to inquire in which one isn't looking for causes either inside of oneself, or outside of oneself, or both, and not using that all too typical response, then what would inquiry be? Because we're not going outside of ourselves, and we're not, as it were, going into the past, which is inside of ourselves. The interest is going to be different. The attention is going to be different. In the Zen tradition, <coughs> one of the um, much-loved uh, questions of inquiry to show a different kind of um, response is: "What is this? What is it?" So there may be some difficulties arising, whatever they whatever they are and there is awareness of those difficulties the first factor of yeah. enlightenment there's a second factor of enlightenment of the inquiry what is, what, what is this? so rather than trying to find methodologies how and why or method and technique to get rid of as quickly as possible and sometimes that means for us there's a kind of pushing away going on we actually ask ourselves what is what is actually going on is this arising, just arising just a past is this just something coming out of the multiple conditions that are, that are taking place is it any more than just some feeling some thought, some images and a lot of um, unpleasant sensations going along with it is there any more than that? could it be any more than that? whether it's manifesting in the body whether it's manifesting in feelings in the heart thoughts and images and ideas is there anything more substantial to it than that? and sometimes we look in that way we inquire in that way and possibly there might be a little glimmer of light and saying any mind state which I've ever had in my entire existence can can never have been anything more than some strength of unpleasant feelings unpleasant thoughts unpleasant images unpleasant ideas all mixed in together and on the boil and that's all it could ever be and sometimes we Get a sense through all of that, a, a little light of awareness begins to come through all of that, and there's a kind of fading of the interest to make much of little. No one is going to say, Well, the first time not one explores this, oh, everything's just going to. Uh, um, what I should say uh, di- disappear, disappear like a uh, small cloud hit by the sun or whatever but it may be more healthy and more, more beneficial for us to really watch this how and why mind that goes on and rather instead just to be bring the light off, take a real interest in, and really ask, is there anything really substantial in all this? Is there anything more than just a fluctuating state of mind going on? And that's all it. you like a bucket of water? <laughs> <laughs> or a cup? There's plenty over there. And glass as well. <laughs> eh? <laughs> Another important factor factor of uh, enlightenment is uh, the, the Pali word is viraya. English, nearest English word would probably be virility. It probably has some close kind of connection, but it gets translated as, uh, as energy. And I hear a lot, and perhaps you look into your own life as well. Um, over the days and over the years and perhaps increasingly more so in recent years lots and lots of talk about uh, energy about levels of energy or how much energy uh, one, one has and uh, there's a great deal of concern as well from people uh, around uh, energy and I hear again in, in, in uh, every retreat in, in fact the references to energy and people experiencing and feeling a lowering of their energy or a loss of energy or a fading of energy and of course the uh, medical profession and given all these various diagnoses uh, etc etc and it can be of a real concern to any person if the strength of the energy is noticeably fading and noticeably uh, uh, getting less in various ways and sometimes we have an idea and the idea is probably as much a curse or a problem as anything else but the idea is often that we should have more energy where we've adopted this idea from God only knows, we're not even God as a clue. <laughs> but we've somehow got this idea that we should have more energy, and and then we see, you know, whatever various ideas of from the media and others of um, uh, people people living high energy life and. Uh, People with lots of energy, etc., that we meet, or whatever it might be, but very unfortunately, it then feeds into ourselves, and then we get the idea we should have more uh, energy. And there's something about the uh, intensity of people's lives, and particularly the doing and the gaining idea. That one should be doing more, and needs to be doing more, but somehow is actually <coughs> violating and abusing life and our levels of energy. And so much of this desire to, to have more energy is not around being human, it's back again to this idea that one's worth. Not of a human being, one has little regard for that anymore. One's work is as a human doing. And the measurement and the value is taken on the doing and not on the being, through roles through achievement, through accomplishment, through possession, through ownership, through status, through that whole ego nonsense. But in terms of being, that doesn't require that amount of energy. It genuinely doesn't. And I think we need to genuinely give more support to uh, each other and show more kindness and friendship to uh, each other and one of the ways to, to, to do that is to be respectful to each other so when a person is asked what are you doing? and the person says well at the present time nothing no, actually you're not doing anything one should bow down to that person and say I salute you, I applaud you, you're, 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 you're more in touch with the real world because <laughs> we've got this idea that there about the, the doing and if someone isn't doing very much or doing very, uh, uh, very little when the forces around are so busy, neurotically busy in many cases, yeah. ma- many cases in order to justify their absurd existence it creates a divisive culture And so those people um, who would far prefer to hang out than do and live a more minimalist kind of uh, life tend to be on the receiving end of a tremendous amount of disapproval. Whereas I think, and some of us think, actually, it's those who do less and do little and a more minimalist kind of uh, uh, lifestyle are much closer to what existence is all about than than those running around working their butt off morning, noon and, and night to pay for a mortgage or whatever. And there's such a pressure on people with using energy and making energy and all, uh, all, all, all of that. And I think in some cases one wants to have a more uh, spacious uh, uh, lifestyle then reduce everything. The intelligent life is not upwardly mobile it's downwardly mobile. And, and to find ways to be content with much, much less. Content with much. And some people are willing and finding ways, willing to actually make those kind of steps and to, to live like that and to be true to that. And just punctured the mythology that mm-hmm. as people in a society we have to keep working, 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 I think. therefore if we're quietly determined we can make those kinds of shifts and therefore the sense of energy will be more appropriate, more applicable and there'll be just enough energy, we don't need too much, it doesn't take a lot of energy to lift one's eyelids up a centimetre. and that could be quite enough for one day I would say <laughs> <laughs> just to go against the, 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 the current the current of me and sometimes when I'm um, uh, in, in uh, the cities and you know, I travel to quite a lot of cities like some of you the, the hours that people are are working going in, early in the, earlier and earlier in the morning and staying uh, uh, late late in the e- evening hours and hours, work and work and work it just takes the joy and the fun out of life and the, the play out of life and for so what? So it's going to take some kind of uh, to awaken our life, to enlighten our life for some, it's going to take quite a, a revolution of uh, looking and attitude, and and change and taking risks and being feeling okay with a lot less and being comfortable with what is, rather than a constant dissatisfaction because one wants more and more and make, and making things last and and doing without. Not to boast or anything, but a couple of uh, years ago, in my um, 1983, um, uh, what was it, uh, Toyota Karina, which I bought off a Dharma friend for about 300 quid because he went off to India, and then it, it clapped out. they uh, uh, tend to do. So rather than get another one, I thought hang out without a car and the friend said, oh you can't live without a car you're living, you're living in pot mess, you know, the bus that turns up once a month if you're lucky <laughs> etc et how are you going to get anywhere without a car living in, in a small country town so I thought, well I'll, I'll give it, I took a one year vow, no car for a year and just, just, see, and so, but Came and I I realized there are four kinds of people on the bus. (laughs) No, there are four kinds of people who use the bus service. (laughs) The poor, (coughs) the young, the elderly, and the drunk. (laughs) And Dharma (laughs) people. One can sit on the bus, can read a book, hang out, and got all these bills to pay uh, out. And sometimes, if one, because one's saving money, one needs to use a, a, a taxi to get to Guy out for some reason, mm-hmm. and to see a, uh, a friend, and the hours are difficult. One, one does that. Just take it as a very small example. It's now two years now, I've been uh, out the car, and I haven't missed it uh, at all and uh, did a little count up now, it worked out that I was worth giving about It's a rather crude way of doing it could turn the tape recorder off at this point <laughs> I reckon I was doing at least three retreats a year just to run this car so I thought, well, wow, a week's holiday would be better but anyway. <laughs> I try not to speak in such mercenary terms but I <laughs> So sometimes just the taking the step of doing without and, and uh, being without and making more space in our space in our lives, it, it, it allows uh, their sense of uh, vitality and energy and, in, and enjoyment. and so being doesn't require a tremendous amount of energy. It genuinely doesn't. And I think out of that, can come a sense of harmony and well-being, no matter what the level of energy is, and a sense of quietly being present to what is. As I say, ears open, eyes open, connectedness. It's more than enough for one existence. So the Buddha, I think, quite rightly and appropriately, has in, genuinely has in, encouraged awareness, has encouraged inquiry, has encouraged an acknowledgement of our energy and, and in, enough energy just to enlighten our life, enough energy for human beings rather than human doing, doing, doing. Fourth area of course we've been touching upon this on the uh, days uh, uh, together quite a lot with both the next two factors and uh, that is um, happiness and joy. That sense of um, uh, gladness and calmness uh, the experiences of uh, vibrancy and vitality and serenity and those two uh, there really matter a, a, gr- a great deal and one of the aspects of that which is that important is and it's not always so easy and that is to be able to distinguish in life between uh, in terms of happiness and joy and pleasure in in, in Dharma language here for a moment and uh, pleasure in the way we use it and I think in secular life life as well is arriving and we're experiencing it as a result of putting energy, time, knowledge, focus, priority towards getting something. And when that which we are after we get, the fruit of that effort to get that gives us pleasure. And it's not that Dharma teachings is obviously against pleasure, but at least what we move towards in life or who or where or whatever it it might be that though the intention can start from within the movement towards, in all the ways that you and I will, will do that there is ne- of course never any real assurance that what we move towards guarantees the pleasure and even that which we move towards and as we all know only too well that which we move towards which gave us pleasure may become sooner or later one big pain in the neck and anything, anything and we know this with uh, the equipment <laughs> somebody at Gaia House decided some time ago we need good equipment at Gaia House there's a huge library there and etc etc et and then one looks at it all those buttons, it's like computers I remember I was a hack reporter in the late 1960s little typewriter, stop it, stop now it's gone to another level so many things that we move towards make life so complicated and so difficult and we, 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 we call this evolutionary process Others call it madness. And this movement, everything, the compelling factor, the conditioning factor, pulls us all along. And it isn't easy for any of us to see in that movement that whatever gives us uh, pleasure, whatever it might be, the same thing as they say can become uh, a real hassle in our life, and I'm not only talking about the non-human world, marriages, sometimes 50% of them in London apparently made in <coughs> heaven and finish in hell that more than half the population of London <coughs> is now living alone so like the city is becoming like a huge bedsit land and people are finding it important and valuable to to do that and it's people's uh, uh, right to do that and I think it's a tremendous potential for lots of our understanding and realisation can come in that aloneness as much as it can come in togetherness, uh, uh, etc. But it's still that watchfulness of the movement towards the dependency that can arise in that movement uh, uh, towards and sometimes if we're not well and content with ourselves then in that movement towards it, if we succeed it can produce pleasure marvellous it is but it still requires wisdom to acknowledge changes that take place and if, it, if we don't succeed in what we want to move towards it's just not happening for us whatever that uh, might be that also obviously requires wisdom as well simply because life is not made to fit in with one's wishes life doesn't work like that and the poor old self just doesn't get it it becomes (laughs) utterly convinced that life exists for one reason only to satisfy the self life exists not to satisfy it. It doesn't care a stuff about the self. And every issue, every problem, every unhappiness, every conflict, every confusion, every wave that goes on with it with us is a sheer confirmation that for life how little importance there is in the self it's just not in life a concern now either we're going to be in touch with life as it is or shrink and I mean this shrink our consciousness which has the tremendous potential to be open and expansive and happy to shrink it right down to the little whims of the self and then life is just a nightmare because what happens is we keep seeing what isn't right what should be better what should be different and we shrink and shrink around that idea of life should be fitting in with what I want and when it isn't going right it should be different and that also only shows itself personally of course but it also shows itself on the larger scale of things so much penal no publicity about British Railways, trains not running on time where there's a a war going on in the Middle East I mean, where are the priorities? because trains don't turn up on time good more practice for impermanence letting go and the insecurity of existence excellent what we want is more leaves on the line just to get out of the mindset of things should be as we want them to be I remember once in dear old Mother India the train running from Delhi to Madras viewing in Madras at 9.30 in the morning so happy the train arrived at 9.30 in the morning people waiting to put a garland Around the, the neck of the driver, <laughs> <Early. coughs> and then he said, "But madam, this train is twenty four hours late." <laughs> <laughs> All right. So sometimes that's moving, good you know. shaking the. The uh, view so that we're kind of moving out from this kind of conditioned, restricted socialised, secularised view of existence beginning to sense things in a different way and therefore what the self wants matters less and what's going on matters more and our relationship to it and we're not as especially in the English culture you've got this rabid attitude of complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining we've become masters of complaining and therefore it needs needs some other kind of system and then perhaps out of the happiness and the spaciousness and the allowance of, of things and being clear about what is but out of that, there's a kind of ongoing process for us of a certain kind of waking up that's going on. That we can't control life. The help keeps stable amidst, amidst things. Just get, I, must. I just thought of another railway story i do I like railways. I like rail- railway I was on the train from Potnest to Plymouth. It takes about half an hour, well, it's supposed to take half an hour and at Plymouth, one can get the overnight sleeper, so quite often I have a early flight out somewhere or other so Sometimes they get the overnight uh, sleeper and then they let you sleep in at Paddington Station and then get to the airport six, seven, or whatever it is, and then take the flight out, wherever it might be. So, some months ago, got on the train, Virgin uh, uh, train down to Plymouth to get the overnight sleeper up to Paddington. Twenty minutes into the journey going down, the train broke down. We so were stuck there at ten thirty at night uh, there, and an hour an hour and a half went by. So I yes. said to one of the staff on the train yes. no, just after midnight, the train needs to go up to London I've got to flight out somewhere or other. So they waited for another train to come down the line. And the member of the staff rang the train at Plymouth Station. Both sleepers and passengers there. And said, would they mind waiting? Because there's one passenger who'd like to get on that train to come up to London. And they kindly waited. And... Another train coming down, pushed us, <laughs> our train, for 10 or 15 miles literally pushed our train into Plymouth railway station and so we got in and then the train going out no, and I was getting the driver was there and they just waited, he said, no problem and we went off about half hour, 45 minutes late so, I, I thought in that kind of uh, uh, situation, <coughs> yeah. I think the kindness is often gets forgotten, the good spirit that, go, uh, that uh, uh, goes on, and the goodwill in this case. Are it's thing. nice of the driver to wait and have an extra cup of tea. And sometimes we miss all of that because we're so fixated about the time and we're fixated about things that should be the way that we want them we can miss much else of what's going on I think mean, that aspect of all of that is a contribution in a way to helping us and reminding us how important it is in life to kind of break free from our fixated ideas I mean how many of us are going to mean, well I did, but how many are going to remember Planes and trains arriving late, or whatever. Who okay. cares? Awareness, inquiry, energy, happiness. I've got to remember that right now. Calmness. And one important factor here is this samadhi that the ability, when things are difficult in all the ways that they can be, or inconvenient, or whatever, that means that the samadhi is the factor of concentration, the factor which helps us to stay steady just to stay steady and if you and I during our time here are genuinely cultivating the capacity to be concentrated on just ordinary things like the breath like the meal, like the walking, like the listening or whatever, we're just in ordinary things developing that Capacity for samadhi, for concentration, then there are times, and there are important times, when we really need to concentrate. We really need to. And that may be in crisis that somebody is happening around us, it may be in a matter which is very serious, it may be in an area which really requires focused attention, without fear, without panic, without worry, that we can act, and we can act well, clearly and confidently. And if we've engaged and developed a real practice of Samadhi, that resource really will be available to us. But if we haven't practiced what very easily happens, when the troubles of life come, we've got no concentration, no focus, no Samadhi, and our inner life is all over the place fear, worry, terror, panic it runs right into the body, right into the legs we don't know what to do and therefore every moment that you and I spend on the meditation, Krishna every moment that you and I take with walking of focusing and concentrating it develops a great power of the mind and one of the great powers of the mind is this samadhi there are times when it's really needed and there will be times when it's needed and the final factor of uh, enlightenment is Um, this uh, equanimity the ability to be balanced and even-handed even-minded to be steady rather than Pushed and pulled by about by circumstances, and there are lots of situations both here and uh, uh, elsewhere to to practice that, to learn to be steady, and to see things as an opportunity for that kind of practice. So, there's a small, <coughs> pardon me, a small example here. Um. Um, I understand that um, with the uh, toilet some people are a very light sleepers quite a typical thing on a uh, uh, retreat and of course then some people need to use the uh, toilet uh, during the night and if I remember rightly I think one of the encouragements here is using the toilet rather quietly and uh, not necessary to pull the chain but some people they give us, I'm sure, that out of sheer force of habit, uh, we go to the loo and then we pull the chain, oh. <laughs> and then there's some poor devil leaping above who gets woken up. Now, what does the, what's the state of mind of the poor person that woke, wakes up? Either the person can then start um, heaping blame. On the poor person down below or wherever for not being mindful, not obeying the rules, and very quickly this person is uh, labeled as an abuser of human rights. <laughs> <laughs> and the agitation that goes on prevents one from getting back to sleep. <laughs> there. Or, the world around. In this case, the person has uh, gone to the toilet and pulled the chain, or whatever it, it might be. perhaps you know, she closed the door too noisily, etc. We can't make the world fit in with what we want. Spend the whole life; it's so exhausting trying to do that. Therefore, in that time, would one dare? Say to oneself, this moment is the moment to develop equanimity. The thought is this moment is a moment for that. And if I can't handle someone having a noisy piss in the room <laughs> next door, how am I going to handle the bomb? How am, how am I going to handle dying? How am I going to handle my house being burned down with no toilet left? <laughs> if I can't handle somebody who's just doing that nature. <laughs> so situations, more ordinary situations, not easy, not comfortable. We would like people to be more mindful, etc. But we're not. And therefore, in that can we say, okay, this is a time for equanimity. This is what this practice is all about. And so, therefore, in conclusion, we're we're taking a genuine interest in awareness, mindfulness, in inquiry, in energy for human beings, in happiness, in joy, in concentration, in equanimity. Because if we really nourish these, we really take an interest in all of these, our life is going to feel close to enlightenment. We begin to understand what an enlightened life is all about. It won't seem theoretical and abstract, and something that happened to Sid two and a half thousand years ago. <laughs> Sid short to Siddhartha but actually seem much closer to us, because the factors are the factors for enlightenment. May all beings live for the way. <coughs> May all beings explore existence. May all beings live They're free and enlightened by. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes.